Well, it's good to see you this morning. Hey, I want to encourage you to go to Grow Track at 11 o'clock down in theater number two. And that's really how you get connected to the church in every way. It's sort of the inner workings of the church. You get to learn about, you know, how do I get connected with other people, small groups, ministry opportunities, baptism. You know, what do we believe as a church? Because that's important if you're going to connect with the church. It's sort of the membership path uh, way into our church. If you want to become a member, it's like, hey, I've been coming here, and I'd like to become a member. Well, then that's how everything funnels uh, now through GrowTrack. And you're going to learn so much about about the church. Certainly there are so many things that go on behind the scenes around our church that we just don't have time uh, to talk about in the services, but grow track, you learn it. All those things, ministry involvement, small group connection, membership, baptism, what do I do? And uh, all those things. So I hope that right after this service, uh, you'll go down there. This week is week two. And you may say, well, can I go to week two? I didn't go to week one. And yes, you can. We run it every single month, every single week of every single month, actually. So you could go to week two this week, week three next week, jump back and take week one later. And it's just set up where you're able to do that. So hope that you'll go down. At 11 o'clock, it lasts about an hour, and you'd still get out in plenty of time and still beat me to lunch, all right? So I'm just saying. I uh, hope you'll take advantage of that. Want all the dads to be here. Bring your dad with you next week. Bring your son. Uh, bring your husband with you next week. Next week is Father's Day. We've got an amazing Father's Day planned. It's going to be a great time. I'm very excited about it, actually, and it's going to be a great time. In fact, we'll have a gift for all the men as you get ready to leave. How many of you guys would like to know what the gift is? How many of you guys would like to know what the gift is, all right? Some of you know my personality enough. You're not even giving in. That's right. You're ahead of me. Come next week and you'll find out. That's, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Welcome back for week two of our series, Jesus is Greater Than Religion. And I'm really excited about today's talk. And as we get started, I want to just go ahead and state the obvious. We all know this. We don't often talk about it in churches, but let me go ahead and throw it out there. I'm not going to hang out here long because there's so much I want to get to in the next 32 minutes or so. But as we get started, I want to just, uh, just say this because we all know it. There is some very weird stuff that often happens in the name of religion. How many of you know that? How many of you have seen some of this weirdness in your lifetime? How many of you have seen it? Uh, in fact, if I were to stand up here this morning and say, let me just tell you everything that I've ever seen weird connected with religion, I, I wouldn't be able to get to even like a portion. Of, I couldn't get to the first verse of our passage today because I could spend the balance of our time talking about weirdness. And we've all seen it. But religion can, you know, expressions of it be more than just weird. I think a lot of you would uh, resign yourself to the reality that religion can often be very legalistic. It's like, you know what, I really, and we get real legalistic, or we've seen people that are really legalistic, and you've got to do it this way. You've got to dot the I this way. You've got to cross the T that way. You've got to jump through this hoop. You've got to do it exactly. And I've got to do these kind of things to be loved by God, to be accepted by God. And if I don't do these things this way, way, then, well, then I could be in some really big trouble. So uh, religion can often be strange. It can be weird, but it can also be very legalistic. But have you ever noticed that some versions of religion can actually be quite hypocritical? 
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because all of us would raise our hands and all of us would be like, yep, that's what I thought. But religion can be very hypocritical. And when it's hypocritical, it looks a little bit like this. See if this doesn't uh, sound familiar. All right, here's what I want you to do this. I, I, want you, I want you to do this. I want you to do this and whatever this is, fill in the blank. But that's not really what I do. I want you to do it, but it's not really what I do. But I want you to think that I do what I'm asking you to do. And, and that's hypocrisy really in its worst form. And we see a lot of the trappings of that in connection with religion. Furthermore, religion can be very judgmental. And some of you sort of disconnected, uh, you know, maybe from church a long time ago, or you're like, you know what, I just, you know, I'm just going to botch up my faith because it seems like I'm always being judged. I'm always being condemned that no matter what I do, it's not enough. No matter what I do, it never measures up. And so we all have our stories uh, and we've all had our experiences, and we could all stand up and say, well, in terms of weirdness, let me tell you this. In terms of legalism, let me tell you this. In terms of judgmentalism, let me tell you this. In terms of all of these uh, kind of things, you know, here's my own story, and we all have our own story, but here's something that I want all of us to consider on the front end of this talk, which is when you read the accounts, the historical accounts of Jesus' life and his ministry, and that's actually uh, in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when you read the Gospels, uh, you quickly discover that the way in which Christianity began contained none of the things that I just mentioned moments ago. That was not Jesus, and that was not Christianity. In fact, let me state it this way. Jesus' teaching uh, was not in any way weird. Now, it was very challenging. And Jesus would ask his followers to do some things that would exact out of them, like, hey, I've got to be all in or all out. Uh, his teaching was challenging, but it wasn't weird. And legalism was never a part of Jesus' ministry. It was from other religious gatherings, but it wasn't Jesus. Jesus was not the creator of legalism. He was against it. Jesus was not judgmental. Uh, in, in fact, you know, the scriptures even say Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the word through Jesus might actually be saved. Jesus was not judgmental, and he had low to no tolerance for, uh, for hypocrisy. That's just the reality. That's, so oftentimes, I guess what I'm trying to say is that a lot of things we've seen in religion in terms of hypocrisy and judgmentalism and legalism and weirdness uh, has nothing to do with Jesus. In fact, some of the things that you dislike the most about religion, guess what? Jesus felt and Jesus feels the very same way. Uh, so here's what I want you to do. I wanted to just sort of get that out of the way on the front edge of this, but I want you to go ahead and buckle up because the story, the event that we're going to look at this morning, at least to me, it may not be to you, but man, it is so mind-blowing to me. It is a tremendous passage. Some of you have read it, but you're going to learn a lot more about it today, even though you've read it some time ago. Uh, it's actually found in Acts chapter 17, because we meet in a theater. You know, I grew up in church hearing this, uh, you know, beginning of the message, hey, open your Bible, uh, open your Bible. Well, that doesn't work because it's, you know, it's a theater. And it's, uh, but here's, oh, I've always wanted to say this, open your tablet. All right, so open, if you got your Bible on your tablet, you can open your tablet. We're going to Acts chapter 17, 
Acts is actually written, a lot of you know this, but many of you don't. Acts is actually written by a guy by the name of Luke. And Luke is a medical doctor. He's actually a doctor. He's a physician. And he traveled around a lot with this great church leader that we talk about uh, quite often around here, this guy by the name of uh, Paul. And Luke wrote a lot about what he saw and what happened as he traveled around with Paul. Some of the things that was going in and around Paul's life, some of the things that he was saying, doing, teaching. And this is just, by the way, a few years after the earthly ministry of Jesus. So in Acts chapter 17, anything that's being played out, if uh, you were to go and say, well, how far is this uh, from the time that Jesus walked the earth? Not very far. In fact, people who are eyewitnesses to like the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, you could still find a lot of people that were familiar with it firsthand, all right? So just giving you that. So what happens? This is just right after Jesus left to go back to heaven. What, what are some of the things that happened after Jesus left the earth? And there's a lot that happened, but what we're going to focus on today, where we're going to pick up today, is Paul is actually in the city of Athens. He's in the city of Athens. Some of you have read about this in Acts 17, and obviously you know what's in the city of Athens, don't you? The University of Georgia. All right, different Athens. I'm sorry, that, that's not true. It's a totally different Athens. This is not Georgia. This is Greece. Uh, I, I couldn't help it. It just, it came out. The Lord made me, no, the Lord didn't make me say it. I just, I took advantage of an opportunity. All right, so it's not Athens where the University of Georgia is located. It's a totally different Athens, the Athens that you're familiar with today. Paul is on a mission, and he's now, at this time, he's already been engaged in it, but Paul is telling everybody that he possibly can about Jesus. As we talked about last week, he has this transformative encounter, this power encounter with Jesus. He's on the road to persecute believers, lock up men and women in Damascus, put them into prison. He's already given his blessing prior to his conversion. Remember, because he had to decommit from something to commit to Christianity, and he was there when uh, Stephen, the very first Christian martyr, is mentioned in the scriptures. He was there giving his approval, his assent. This is good. Uh, it's what he's saying. Now he's had this amazing encounter with Jesus and he's going everywhere and he's telling everybody he can about Jesus, about Jesus's teachings, about Jesus's ministry, about Jesus's, and even more so his bodily resurrection from the dead. So while waiting in Athens, he gets in the city first, all right? He's waiting for a couple of friends to arrive there. So he's got some time on his hands. It would be like you flew into a city and uh, you were going to have some other people joining you for meetings or for a vacation or a conference. And you were there a little bit ahead of them. And so you just had some time to burn. And so Paul has some time to burn while he's in Athens waiting for his friends to catch up with him. And so he just starts walking throughout the city. He's just got some, uh, some sightseeing time on his hands, and he starts walking uh, through the city. This is Acts chapter 17. We're going to look at a lot of verses. Got to hang on. This is going to be so good because it's out of the Bible. Verse 16, let's look at this together. Acts 17, 16, while Paul was waiting for them, his friends, the people that were going to be joining him in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of what? Idols everywhere, everywhere he looked, everywhere he walked, everywhere he turned, idols, the city, I mean, it's everywhere. Any direction that he turned, idols, idols, idols. Now, uh, not in terms of idols, but I can sort of step into this story a little bit uh, because our daughter, Audrey, I can't believe I'm even saying this, she's getting married in less than three weeks now. 
And I can't believe that. I mean, she, she's supposed to be this big. She really is. I don't know what happened. And now she's getting married. And so I, when I read that phrase, the city was full of idols, I can translate that to our house right now. And it would read like this. The house is full of wedding stuff. I mean, everywhere I walk, everywhere I turn, everywhere I try to walk, the house is full of wedding stuff. And, I, you know, for me, it's just the way I think. I'm just looking at it, and then I've got this little thing going on in my mind, like, I wonder how much that cost. How much was that? I wonder how much that's uh, I wonder what. Oh, boy, I hope, I hope they got a deal on this. I hope, so that's just the way. But the city was full. Paul's walking through the city, and it's full of idols. They're everywhere. Now, why does that matter? And this is what I want to establish early on. Everybody in Athens apparently believes, or at least for the most part, but there's tremendous discrepancies in their beliefs. There's all these idols, all these shrines, all these altars. You've got to see this. All these gods. And because there's really no common, this is really important, so you've got to listen up now. Because there's really no common consensus about God, there is no real assurance about God. It's like they're all over the place and their religion and what they believe, everybody believes, but everybody believes something different. And, and Paul's just walking around Athens. He's like, I can't believe this. This city, he's distressed. He's bothered by it. He's not going to act like he's bothered. You'll see that in just a few moments, but he's walking around the city. He's like, wow, this is crazy. I've never seen anything like this. And I've been to a lot of places and all these idols and shrines and temples and, and all, all these gods. And, and he said, wow, you know, look at what's What's going on? Look at verses 17 and 18. Let's pick up there. So he reasoned in the synagogue. He makes his way to the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, just out in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him some of the things that he's teaching. And, and then look at this next part. Some of them ask, what is this babbler trying to say? Now, how many of you know this is not paying Paul a compliment? What is this babbler trying to say? Others remark, look at this now, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Well, we've got all these gods, we've got all these altars, we've got all these shrines, all these images, all these temples. So he's just bringing to our city another foreign god. They said this because Paul was preaching, look at this now, the good news about who? And about what? And about the resurrection. So the Epicure Epicureans, uh, by the way, and you may be thinking, you know, is that their local team? You know, the, the Athens Epicureans. It's, it's not. The Epicureans who are mentioned here basically uh, have this sort of mantra, don't worry, be happy, don't sweat the details, live for the day, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, life is good. Life is wonderful. So Paul has engaged them now in conversation as well as some Stoic philosophers, you saw that. And for the most part, both of these groups are quite um, intellectual. They're both uh, wealthy for the most part. They're wealthy enough, in fact, that they can basically hang out any time of the day 
uh, to discuss and to debate these kind of issues, philosophy and theories and such. And it's like if you were driving to work, you'd see them just standing around talking. And some of you do that. Some of you who are thinking, I don't really want to go to work and work 8, 10, 12 hours today. And you drive by people. You ever have this experience where you drive by people and it seems like everybody you're driving by and they're not working, you know, they're having coffee, they're hanging out, they're doing something. And you're like, uh, why, why aren't they having to go to work? But these Epicurean Stoic philosophers, a lot of them bright, 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 but they had a lot of money, so they didn't have anywhere to go. And so they're just standing around and they weren't sipping Starbucks. They weren't hanging out at Chick-fil-A. By the way, that opens Wednesday, my office. I can't wait to get back into my second office. Somebody said to me the other day, they said, Pastor Jeff, have you already started praying for the chickens? Are you praying for the chickens? I said, no, I'm not praying for the chickens. It won't do any good. They're going to get eaten anyhow, namely me. I'm going to dive in this week. But, you know, the people are just hanging out, and they're discussing these things. So after hearing, hearing Paul, some of them refer to him, you saw it a moment ago, a babbler. So why does Paul's teaching seem so strange to these Athenians? It is for this reason, and again, we're not, I, I want to keep moving, but this is what we need to understand about it. It seems strange to them because it doesn't have a philosophical bent about it. It's not theoretical in nature. He's not talking in those kinds of terms, and they were used to that. They were accustomed to that. That's what they did as they hung out in the city. They would discuss these matters. He is not doing that. He is actually not speaking in those kind of terms. He's actually talking about a person, namely, and you saw it, Jesus, and he's talking about a great event that you could still go and find eyewitnesses. People are still living because it, happened, it hasn't been that long since it happened. Uh, he's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Um, Look at verse 19, all right? So verse 19 is, uh, keeps stepping up here. Then they took him and brought him into a meeting of the Areopagus, Ara, Ara, uh, where they said to him, may we know what this, it's, it's not new to Paul, but it's new to them, uh, what this new teaching is that you are presenting. We'd like to know it. Now, the uh, Areopagus uh, was a place where people would be taken to share their teaching. And often when somebody would be taken to this, like this place, public place where they were going to share, in this case, you see it on the screen, their new teaching, uh, what would happen was people would hear them out. It was generally, for the most part, new content that a lot of the people in the city maybe have not heard before. Now, you got to remember the group who Paul is engaged in conversation. It is the philosophers of Athens. It's a lot of the religious people in Athens. And once you had a hearing in this setting, once they've heard your teaching, then permission would either be granted or denied in regards to taking it into the marketplace. So Paul obviously is teaching something that is strange. It is new teaching to them. They've got all these idols, all these altars, all these images, all these temples. And now Paul's talking about Jesus. And they're like, all right, not getting that. And Jesus is resurrection from the dead. Like that can't even be believable. And so they say, but we're going to take you. We'll give you a hearing. And then we'll determine thumbs up, thumbs down. Are we going to let you take your teaching on out into the marketplace or not? Now, look at verse 20, verses 20 through 23, actually. 
You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent, and I reference this, their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. That's what happened, sort of day after day. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, all right, so he's right in the middle of this. They're giving him a hearing, right? They're going to determine thumbs up, thumbs down, red light, green light. You can either get out of the city or you can teach this stuff in the marketplace. And he stands up and he says, men of Athens, I see that in every way you read these four words with me. What? You are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription. What is it? These four words. Read it with me. Help me out. To an unknown God. He said, I even see that. So Paul recognized them. He's standing up. I mean, this is his opportunity to be heard. And he recognizes them for being very religious. He said, you're very, very religious people. In fact, you are so religious that you have built an altar, a shrine, you saw it, you see it, to an unknown God. And it's like, all right, you've got, you know, all these, all these altars, all these images, all these temples, all these gods, and you are so religious that you've even built an altar to a, you're with me on this, a just-in-case God. Just in case we've left you out, just in case we don't know who you are, just in case we don't know your name, just in case we're not worshiping you yet, you're so religious, you've got all these bases out here, so many gods, so many beliefs, you know, there's no congruency in what you believe, everybody believes something, there's no consensus, there's no assurance, everybody believes something, you're not all in, and so the reality is you are so religious, you didn't want to miss, you didn't want to take a chance that you've erected an altar to a just in case we haven't included that God, God, to an unknown God. Now, Paul's just like, if if I'm going to talk this out, I'm going to have to build my case. And he's doing this very methodically. Again, Paul is, Paul is very, very intellectual in his own right. He's learned from the very best rabbi of his day, Gamal. He's had the very best teaching. He's been uh, uh, the very best teaching afforded to him. Uh, he's taking advantage of it. He's brilliant. And steadily, he is building his case, and he fully intends to fill in the gaps. Let's pick up, all right? This is an amazing passage to me. Pick up, uh, uh, be part of verse 23. Now, what you worship as something unknown, all right? Remember, they've got this altar, altar to an unknown God. It's really important. You got to pay attention here. Now, what you worship is something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. I'm going to tell you, you've got this just-in-case altar for this just-in-case God, the God who made, I'm going to tell you about him, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And look at this phrase, does not live in temples built by hands. 
So Paul stands up, he's in the Areopagus, he's giving his teaching, he's going to get a thumbs up, thumbs down, he'll either have to leave the city or he'll be able to take his teaching out in the marketplace. Everybody's standing around, everybody's leaning in, he's giving his teaching, he said, you're very, very religious, he said, but this is what I want you to know, you have all these idols, I've seen them everywhere, I've been walking through your city, all these shrines, all these altars, all these gods, all these very impressive temples. Uh, that you have erected around your city, but then Paul says, but here's the problem. God does not live in there. And God does not live in there, and God does not, and we wonder what is in his visual spectrum. And God doesn't live there, and God doesn't live there, and God doesn't live there. God does not, you saw it with me, God does not live in temples built by hands. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying the God that I'm going to describe to you is way too big for that. Now, your gods may fit in these temples and these altars and these images and these shrines, but the God I'm about to define for you is way, way too big for that. This temple cannot hold this God. I can remember growing up. I grew up, most of you know by now, in Atlanta, Georgia. I can remember going to church as a kid, and it was just sort of, it was just uh, sort of built into you. This is God's house. And it was, but you know, when you're a kid and you're trying to figure it out, you're like, okay, if I stand out here, I'm not in God's house or God's presence. But if I stand in here, I'm in God's house. I'm in God's presence. So, so this is God's house. So when I came, when I come in here, uh, you know, this is where God, this is where God lives. I'm real small. This is where God lives. Now for me and this, I still in my mind, I can remember what it looks like. It just so happened uh, you know, when we first started going to church, a real small, uh, the church was actually in the city limits of Atlanta, Georgia. And I mean, in walking distance of the church was a very daunting looking federal penitentiary. And so I'm real small. So I ju- you could, I, we'd have to drive and I, I really didn't like to be there. I had all these towers and big fences and it was huge federal penitentiary and it just looked dark. It looked like a dungeon to me, at least as a kid. It was so depressing and daunting and we'd have to drive by it every, every day going to church, every Sunday going to church. And, and to me as a kid, this is how I'd look at it. I'd be like, all right, this is, this is God's house and God is here. And then in my mind, that looked like, I didn't know what hell looked like, but that looks like hell. And I don't know where he is in there, but I think the devil's in there somewhere. It looks like the kind of place he'd hang out. And so this is God. This is God's house. This is hell. This is this place. And, uh, you know, and so in your mind, and, and Paul is just saying, listen, this God I'm about to describe to you, he doesn't live in any of these temples. He's not in any of these places. Now, hang on here because I've got several verses, eight verses, in fact, that I want you to see. But hang in here. Read along with me. Take a look at it. And he is not served. He's continuing to build his case, all right, for God, this, this God that is unknown to them. And he is not served by human hands. He doesn't live in any of your temples because this God is too big for any of that. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he doesn't need anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. This is, this is a far different God than any God you've ever known or worshiped. He gives life to, you have life and breath because God gave it to you. From one man, he made every nation of men 
that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined, this God did, the time set for them, and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live, and he quotes some of their own philosophers, for in him we live and move and have our being. They're like, okay, we've heard that before. He sort of ties into their philosophical bent. As some of your own poets, he references them, he knows. Again, he's intellectual. He knows about sort of their history, their culture. As some of them, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Look at this next part. We are, therefore, since we are God's offspring, your own poets, your own philosophers have said this. We should not think, now, now he's hitting close to home. We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. And again, this, their city is filled with that. In the past, Paul says, again, he's building his case. God overlooked such ignorance, but now... He commands all people everywhere to repent, to change their mind, to change their thoughts about who God is and what God does. For he has set a day, this God has, when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this. Again, they have no consensus. They have no assurance. He's going to give proof. He has given proof of this to all men. Look at this now. This is so, so, so important by raising him from the dead. And if you don't believe me, Paul would say, you go ask some people. Some people have seen this. They saw him nailed to the cross. They saw him die. They've seen him since resurrected. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them did what? They sneered. They're like, you got to be kidding. And Paul, again, he's very methodically laying out his case. God created everything and everyone. He really does not need our help. And he's bigger than your religion. Uh, again, he's just standing up. He's giving this teaching. They want to hear him out. It's strange. And it's good news because it's about Jesus. It's good news because it's about the, uh, the resurrection. He says, God is bigger than your religion and your tradition. He continues. And God has done all that he has done so that people would seek him. So that people would reach out for him. God has done everything that he has done to reveal himself so that people would find him. And Paul's words to them, friends, and we cannot miss this, are basically this. You made your God way too small. The real God. The authentic God. You made him way too small. Concerning the one true God, he could never fit in a box. He can't fit in a shrine. He can't fit in an image, a temple. And in the past, because God gets it, God gets it. And you saw it a moment ago. God gets it. You know, everybody's trying to find him in their own way. And in the past, this is what Paul said. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now God wants everybody, everybody, every nation, every tribe, every people group, people that are a part of other religions. He wants them all to repent. And a lot of times we think of repent, you know, one way of understanding it. But in this, uh, in this setting, it actually means here to change your mind, to think differently about God, because God has revealed himself. This is what Paul is saying. This is a huge. He has revealed himself to the world in such a remarkable way. And so standing right there, Paul declares, God has heard your cry. And again, he, he could have just, I mean, he's smart. He could have just taken them to task. He could have, he could have, but he doesn't do that. You know what he's saying? He said, listen, I want you all to know God has heard your cry. 
God knows that you have been seeking. God knows that you've been searching. In the past, God has ignored your ignorance and the ignorance of a lot of other people. And ignorance in that context doesn't mean it's not like a, a really offensive word the way that we would use it today. He said, but God has overlooked, you know, your ignorance in the past. But this is a new day. God is fully aware of the journey that you're on. And furthermore, he has an answer to all of the questions that you've been asking. It's so good. Because when I came into your city and I started walking around Athens and I was looking, I was looking for the University of Georgia because I couldn't find it. I liked that team and, and I couldn't find it. And everywhere I looked, you have these images, you have these gods and you're searching and you're looking and, and you know, you're seeking and you want to know and you don't know. And you believe this and you believe this and you believe and it's just a collage of a lot of different beliefs and, and you are so multiplied in your beliefs and you didn't want to miss. So you just have a just in case kind of altar shrine so that you can worship a God that you don't even know. God is aware of all that. And here's what I want you to know. God has an answer to all of the questions that you and everybody else has been asking. And the answer to that question is actually a person. And the answer to all of your questions is actually Jesus. And God has validated, God has validated Jesus, his son, by staging. And he said, if you don't believe me, again, just go check it out. But God has validated his son, Jesus, by staging a clear, visible, irrefutable event. And that is Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So, Paul could have criticized their beliefs. He doesn't really. He could have just made them look like complete idiots because of their questions. He does not do that. Or because of their numerous approaches to religion. He does not do any of those things. He just lets them know that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to all that they have been searching so important. Last, last three verses, two and a half actually. Look at verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. You just saw that. But others said, oh wow, there's something to this I think. We're not going to give up. We're not done listening to you on this. We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men immediately became followers of Paul and believed. So, we're about out of time, and I, want, I need to wrap this up. But this is what I want you to get in week two. Religion, for the most part, says that we must work. We must do. We must. That's religion. We must ask. We must reach. We must see. We've got to make it happen. That's religion, religion, religion. We've got to do the work. We've got to make it happen. We've got to do the asking, the reaching, the finding, the searching. But Christianity and if Paul were standing right here, he'd say, that's, that's what makes Christianity so much. Yeah, there's all these kind of beliefs scattered everywhere. And you've got people, friends and family, and they believe this. And that. other people, other cultures, languages, they believe this. But what Paul is saying is the big difference between religion and Christianity is Christianity says that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who is doing the seeking. And Jesus is the one that is doing the searching. And Jesus is doing the one that is reaching out. And with Jesus... There comes with it assurance, the assurance that we can know. And that's what Paul's saying. Look at, look at this. And you've got all these gods. Everywhere I turn, I see another God, another temple, another altar, another shrine. You've got, you don't even know. You believe, but you don't even really know at the end of the day what you believe. And you certainly don't have assurance because you're not really sure. If you were sure, you wouldn't have these pantheons, these multiplied expressions of all these other gods. You really don't have assurance. But in Jesus, listen, friends, so important, we can have assurance. In Jesus, we can know. 
In Jesus, we can be confident that our sins are forgiven when we confess our sins to him. And in Jesus, we can know that the promise of eternal life in heaven with God is a sure thing. So what's the big difference? Religion, for the most part, asks what is true. The real question is not as much what is true. The real question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Religion asks the question, for the most part, who is right? Because people, and we're surrounded by that, it's more prolific in our time and our culture than it's ever been before. Who's right? How do I know what's right? I see this. They are, they're sincere, and, and uh, they, they think they're right, and they think they're right, and they think they're right, and everybody in this, this persuasion, this and every. But the real question is not who is right. The real question is what happened. And the real question goes back to an event that Jesus just made it so plain in his resurrection. And I think you understand where Paul was going with this. I think you'll see this passage next time you read it in a totally different light. Because he said, you've been, you've been searching. You're very religious. Remember what he says? You've been looking everywhere and you've been trying and you believe this and you believe this and you believe and you've tried to cover all your bases, but this is what I want you to know. And friends, it is still absolutely true today that in Jesus, people find everything that they've been looking for and searching for. Does that make sense to you? If it does, wave your hand like this. For everything, Jesus is the answer. Can I put it this way? Jesus is actually the answer to every religion because religion, for the most part, is I've got to do this. I've got to make this happen. I've got to find this God. I've got to connect with this God. I've got to make this happen. I've got to reach out to him. I've got to appease him. I've got to make him happy. And Christianity says, no, Jesus is reaching out to you. And he's the answer to everything that you've been asking. So as we close this morning, we can know that Jesus, and this is so important, this is why you're in here, this is why our church exists, this is why Christianity exists, this is why Christianity, by the way, has flourished for the last 2,000 years, because Jesus is not just another option in religion. Jesus is the answer to the question that religion has been asking for generations. So, if you're a person that has given up on religion, if you're a person that just said, you know, growing up, I saw some of the things, I saw the weirdness, don't want to be connected with weirdness. Yep, I've seen so many hypocrites. I've seen so much legalism. You got to do this. You got to do it this way. I've seen the hypocrisy. I've seen the judgmentalism. I've been so judged, so condemned, never could do enough to measure up. If you're a person that has given up on religion, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Just start focusing on Jesus. You can't push all this other stuff out of the way and just focus on Jesus. And can I tell you this? Don't seek to become religious. Don't seek to become religious. Don't do that. Seek instead Jesus. Seek his teachings. Some of you that you've never really been connected to Jesus, you're like, how do I get to know him? You get to know him in his life story, in his biography. And it's laid out, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In fact, I wouldn't even start at Matthew, and I know, forgive me, because everybody is, says you start at Genesis or you start at Matthew. I would encourage you to start at John. Read John, then go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke. So I don't know what your story is completely. 
I don't know if you walked away. I don't know if you botched it up. I don't know if you're one of those that you're here today and you're like, you know what? I can't even tell anybody. I'm not telling my, my parents. I'm not telling my spouse. I'm not telling my kids. I'm not telling my friends. But I've been doubting a little bit. I've just, I've been doubting. And again, I just encourage you, re-engage with Jesus. Push all this stuff. Yeah, it's not the way Christianity was designed. It's not how Jesus started it all. But if you seek him, if you seek him, you'll find him. You know why? Because he's looking for you. A step. Closing prayer. I want every one of you that are here today to one day make heaven your home. I really do. This is so important. Otherwise, we're just sort of spinning our wheels here. We're just coming together. We enjoy music. We enjoy passage from the Bible, and then we go and we do whatever we've been doing. I don't want you to miss heaven. I want you to be in relationship with Jesus. I don't want you to become more religious. In fact, sometimes the more religious you become, sometimes it takes you further away from Jesus. I don't even have time to explain that. But you need Jesus. What you need is Jesus. 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 You need to walk with Jesus. You need to follow Jesus. You need to follow His teachings. And, and you need to know the assurance in your heart that you're forgiven. You need to know the assurance in your heart that you can make heaven your home. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you'd just say today, Jeff, I want to get to know Jesus better. I need assurance. I need the assurance that Jesus is who he said he was, the son of God. I need the assurance that my sins are forgiven. I need the assurance that when I die, my life is not actually over. I'm going to go somewhere and I want that to be heaven. So would you just pray for me? Pray for me. I'm on a journey. I'm seeking. I'm asking. I'm confused. I got stuff going on in my mind. But would you just pray for me today? Pray for me that I'll find Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I need assurance about what I believe. If that's you, just raise your hand. Nobody else is looking around. Just raise your hand real high. Lift it up real, real high. And you can put it right down. Father, help us today. Help us to find you. We're not striving to become more religious. We're striving to live the kind of life that your son Jesus lived. And we want to follow you. And we want to serve you. So thank you for this day. Thank you for every person here in Jesus' name. Everybody said, man. Love everybody. Have an awesome week.